0: This podcast is made possible by Workiva and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Gene Prater, CFO of eBuilder, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader podcast. This is episode 397. media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. I'm Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak with Frank Kolich, CFO of SkyTap, a fast-growing Seattle-based technology company. During Frank's early career, he was surrounded not by auditors, but scientists. An MBA ultimately placed him on the finance leader path while some entrepreneurial leaders open the door. Our discussion with Frank begins after these words from our sponsor. Workiva transforms the way people work through connected reporting and compliance. The facts are... A majority of senior accounting and finance professionals say their financial reporting involves a huge amount of manual work and is inherently error-prone, leading to risk. Risk that's intensified by new business complexities and the changing business climate. Link data elements, numbers, narrative, and calculations together everywhere you use them. When you change data at the source, it's changed at the destination. Gaining trust in your data and processes is that simple. Join over 3,500 customers who enjoy the benefits of using Workiva by connecting their organizations from record to report. Visit workiva.com slash CFO.
1: with us. As, as always, Frank, we like to begin uh, by finding out a little bit about you and asking, uh, we always ask our guests to look back in time for us and uh, share with us some of those experiences. They feel help prepare them for a CFO role.
2: Yeah, for sure. So I think when I look back in my career, well, I definitely did not take the uh, traditional path to becoming a CFO. If there was a traditional path, I didn't go to school for. Accounting. I didn't go get an MS in accountancy. I didn't go work for a big four. I became a controller and then uh, a CFO. Um, my, my path was a little, a little bit different. I, grew, I actually grew up in upstate New York, not too far from New Jack, uh, near Poughkeepsie, outside of Poughkeepsie, New York. And my undergrad was in biology. And at that time, like my 20s, I just decided to move west. You know, a couple options. I, I didn't want to. Live in upstate New York anymore. I just wanted to see the world, so I went out to Seattle. And literally, what I wanted to do was rock climb for my uh, for, during my 20s. Did that for a year with a table. Worked at a dock doing some jobs there. Then uh, eventually figured out I had to do something with my degree. So then I went ahead and got a a job at an environmental research facility as a, as a project manager. And that was where I, my career first started to I guess take off. I look back at uh, to how how where I'm at now. And as a project manager, I kind of an account management where I was working with customers, working with different people. And during that time period, just growing in my career, becoming a manager of different people, probably one of the bigger milestones that definitely got to me to where I'm at today was you know shifting, basically a career shift away from the sciences, you know biology, chemistry, environmental research, into business and. What drove that was having a kid, honestly. You know, um, I, I got, met, met a great uh, person, um, my wife, in Seattle. She is the main reason for, for where I'm at today, just driving me. And literally what we did was decided that uh, I had to go look for a, um, a, a graduate degree and went out to Seattle University and got an MBA. Worked worked um, for about three and a half years, doing that on a part-time basis, working full-time, raising a family. Um, but getting that MBA was probably a big milestone. And while I was doing that, the, the, the company I was working with, they multi pretty much predominantly scientists running the company. During that time period, they knew I was going for a business degree. And so everything that was not science, was like accounting, finance, HR, marketing, shipping, receiving, all those types of departments just basically were, were given to me. And at that point, I learned, you know, how to go ahead and optimize some of those um, departments and such. And during that time, I also found out I have a knack for spreadsheets. Um, Never went to school for learning how to use a spreadsheet, but I've I've always had a good, uh, innate um, knack for playing with spreadsheets. I think part of it, I'm a big, I might dork out here a little bit with you, Jack, but I'm a big, fancy baseball guy. Uh, I love taking data um, projections putting into a model, into a spreadsheet, and creating that one forecast model. So that's just something that I like playing with data. But, but going back to, uh, to how I got to my map, having kids, going for the MBA, and, and at that point on just growing um, the company I was with, moving to a different company, a company called 3 tier also based in Seattle it was a SaaS, renewable energy company. At that point, growing that company, uh, I was there for about six years as a CSO, um, Raising around the funding as well and leading the acquisition of that company to, to the uh, parent company where they're at now. And after that point, looking around the Seattle market, uh, networking around, landed, uh, had lunch one day with Bill Coverhouse, our, our CEO. We hit it off, and here I am four years later, four and a half years later at SkyTap after a couple rounds of funding, like you mentioned, um, having the, uh, the fantastic experience to work with Goldman Sachs and around. That's so in a nutshell. That's kind of how I got to where I'm at. There's uh, plenty more stories uh, in there, but like I said, I think it was to school for an accountant uh, to be an accountant or work at a big four, and you know we might get into this later in the conversation. But definitely, as I built out teams, always hired off my weakness to help me out while I'm growing a, a business.
1: Can I ask about uh, three care where you you did uh, step into the CFO office? I think for the first time. Uh, what, were you, did you land at three-tier as the CFO or was it uh, – no. were you a business
2: development
1: type executive? How would you have characterized what you were first doing? Uh,
2: I, I, my first job there was more finance operations. Uh, I was director of finance and operations. You know, A lot of the back office ops, accounting, finance, HR there as well. Um, the founder, CEO there. Uh, I was I was one of the first business people, quote unquote business people they hired. Uh, that company was also mostly engineers, uh, amateur scientists. Uh, I think I was the 17th or so 18th person hired there. And the CEO there I uh, hit it off. And within the first couple of months, he looked at me and said, "You know, I want you to be my CSO. I'm like, "Whoa, thanks for the voter of confidence, but." There's a a certain path, a certain process. So let's start with director. Let's go to VP. Let me get some milestones to prove to you in the board that I belong, that that I've earned that CFO title. And so, like I mentioned, throughout the years, I was there for six years going through, um, I think it was about four rounds of funding, um, working, building out a lot of international offices. Uh, There's a renewable energy company. So the company changed um, governments that subsidized, or incentivized, renewable production. But, but that's, that's basically where I got my, my CFO um, uh, title, if you will, that was my first job there, just earning it. And, and then once I had that, selling that company, going through the m process of leading that soup to nuts uh, with the bankers and, and that process, um, which, which is a f- another fantastic experience, uh, let, led me well to um, get the cfo um gig here at uh, the TechTap.
1: Now, i uh curious, was there a recruiter involved, or were you just networking your way over?
2: That was just networking, honestly. Uh, uh, just networking around, and um, just happened to have, again, have lunch with or coffee with one of the co-founders there at the time. And so it was just sometimes it's, it's a lot Timing is everything. Who you, who you bumped into, what collision you have, that gets you somewhere else, and it's just, it just worked out well. And it was at the right time for me to go ahead and make a move. I was still in school, at about eight months left of the NBA program, so I was kind of, you know, do I want to start a new job now? I'm wrapping up this program, but it just made sense. And this is going back to 2007, when you, you kind of want to chase the hot market at the time. Renewables was definitely a, a hot market. Still a good market. Um, but I, I kind of wanted to go ahead and ride that wave, and so I just decided to make the transition.
1: What else? I mean, it, you you uh, step into the current role at SkyCap. What is the kind of job you were looking forward to creating for yourself, and the types of milestones you you look forward to achieving? For for me,
2: coming to SkyCap, well, well for any company, you go to is helping build uh, the company, helping grow the company as best we can. Uh, whether it's three-tier or SkyTap. And when I first had lunch with uh, Thor, uh, the CEO, it was, I had, there was three things I was looking for, for, for my, what I wanted to build for myself and a, and a team that I would actually build. You know, again, a hot market, cloud computing, a great market to be on. You, you, you can't beat that right now. Uh, the product, uh, the SkyTap product is, is phenomenal. It, it, it's a great product that enterprises uh, adopt and can't get enough of. And the other thing was the exec team. That, that Thor was building and, and that were here prior to me, that, that those are the folks that I'm working 24 by 7, spending a lot of time with. So I wanted to make sure that between Thor, the product, uh, and the other execs here that there was a good chemistry there. And I, I felt that early on. The other thing, too, uh, to be honest, is um, is the in- investment uh, syndicate on um, Skytown. Being able to work with the local uh, venture? um, Madrona Ignition, Um, we had OpenView here at Skytap, and uh, those are all important to me as well, especially up here in Seattle, in in this tech market.
1: I'm struck by how uh, a big part of your professional life and personal uh, has to do with a region, and I think um, that's true for many of the finance leaders we speak about. But I think um, Seattle (laughs) has played a big part in your story. I don't think you disagree.
2: Uh, it would take a lot to get me a leave. I love it out here. It's uh, I have two boys, fourteen, eleven. It's a great city, great region to raise a raise a family. It's so much to do out here. I'm pretty much outside almost every single day, uh, enjoying even in the wintertime. It's it's not as bad as people think. But um, but but absolutely, it's, I, I don't see myself moving back east. Sorry, mom, if you're listening. <laughs> I don't I don't see my myself going back east anytime soon. Upstate New York, but. Uh, yeah, I absolutely love the uh, Pacific Northwest.
1: Let's find yeah. out about SkyCap now, because this is a this is an interesting space the company's moved into. I think it's a lot larger than any of us would imagine, uh, but I'll let you uh, you explain it. Can you tell us about uh, the market for SkyCap services
2: today? Absolutely, it's, it's a massive market. Uh, the market, uh, as you mentioned, we're, we kicked off the podcast. Um, With we're we're a public cloud. We're we're, we're competing and we're working with um, the enterprises that are like the Fortune 1000, Fortune 2000 companies around the globe, um, not unlike AWS or Azure. Two of the big our neighbors out here in the Pacific Northwest uh, in Seattle. What what we're going after, though, the way we differentiate ourselves, is that we're going after the, the, the software applications that were built many years ago uh, for an on-premise data center infrastructure. Um, we could go after born in the cloud applications as well, but um, so that's, that's what Amazon and Azure do really, really well, and we would rather partner with those firms than go after them there. Our technology uh, our platform really takes those mission-critical apps, those revenue-generating applications that for many, many years, uh, i just been sitting there and having been able to go ahead and take advantage of the cloud innovation that's out there now. SkyTap technology allows uh, these companies to literally lift and shift uh, into the SkyTap cloud, and doing so, you don't have to change any of your processes, your tool sets that you use. What you're doing now on an on-premise uh, environment, you could do in a, sky, in a cloud environment, and SkyTap enables you to do that. Now, once you're in the cloud, uh, in, in SkyCap, You're able to go ahead and really software fast. You get to go ahead and apply New agile methodologies or DevOps methodologies to your uh, environment, uh, SDLC, your software development lifecycle. and then it gets even more fun where you get to modernize your architecture around these old, uh, older legacy applications that you never thought you'd be able to do before. So now you can go ahead and in the cloud environment start applying uh, containers or microservices to these uh, older legacy uh, applications. now a user of SkyTap in their environment could have the old and the new, if you will. They could have the new applications that are running, that, that are living in the cloud, and they could at the same time work off, work with the older applications uh, as, as well. So it's, it's, that's why you know, these, a lot of these enterprises, they thought they used have to just pour concrete around these old uh, applications and they just have to sit there. But, but now we basically liberated these apps, these applications to uh, free them into the cloud pretty powerful. Give
1: us a sense of what are the numbers you're watching uh, closely to make sure uh, you know the company's performing the way it should.
2: Yeah, some of my favorite some some of the metrics that we put in place here that we, we monitor all the time. Well, for so line we're, or we're, we're hypergrowth Company. We're, we're growing at a very rapid pace, so obviously with that alone, there's a lot of sales efficiency metrics there, but for us, we're a SaaS company, and the typical SaaS metric but for us is, is one is net new MRR. MRR stands for monthly recurring revenue. So every quarter, there's going to be the gross new subscriptions we get minus whatever term we have, the net number is how we is how we make payroll, is on that net MRR number. So that, that is the bogey that every single person, especially in the sales team, has memorized every quarter. From a customer retention, churn is another big uh, component to, to our company, again, being a subscription company. And we measure that uh, from a net revenue retention rate as a measure of churn. It's a, and we want to say best in class, and we have been best in class at SkyCaps. It's a really healthy uh, churn. And a lot of our customers are also, the existing customers are upgrading subscriptions as well as they move throughout the year. Um, another metric that we look at on a quarterly basis is utilization, customer utilization. You know, we can have these big enterprise customers sign up for the subscription. We want to make sure that they're using uh, the subscription. That's a measure of health for the customer. If we find out that a customer is only using, say, 10% of what they paid for, that's I mean, I, there's, there's a reason for that. There's, there's, there's room for improvement there, and it, it could be at risk. So we'll go ahead and investigate why and try to get them from 10% to 90%. And you've got to realize also working with large and of our customers, it, it takes a little bit longer than it would be like a typical uh, smaller SMB uh, company. Um, uh, in, in relation to pest utilization and PS scores, we, we're, we're constantly um, looking for feedback from our customers on how we can serve them better. And then also the, the sales efficiency metrics, you know, look at customer acquisition costs, hack ratios or customer acquisition cost ratios uh, to, to how well our sales team is, is performing. And if we optimize those metrics, we can just continue to go ahead and, and grow further. and And last, uh, on the platform side, you know, because we are a public cloud, we have about 11 data centers around the world. Um, the service availability on a monthly basis uh, is something that we all look at. We want to make sure that our platform is up and running, that all of our customers can enjoy it when they need it. Um, so those, I think those are like the first that come to mind, the first whatever that was, six or seven metrics that we look at uh, constantly. And of course there's a whole slew, a whole library more that we could dig into, but those are probably the six or seven that we'll always look at on a, on a frequent basis.
1: We'd like to ask uh, for a finance strategic moment, uh, which, you know, something during the course of your career where your lines of sight into the organization as a, as a finance executive allowed you to identify an opportunity
2: or a risk. Does anything come to mind? Yeah, yeah I, think, I think the first thing that comes to mind, making yeah. it close to SkyTab, since that's most close to mind, is there's actually a, a series of events, Focused on one topic, that's our, that's our cost structure, our, our margins. Over, over the last couple of years, you know, having a real microscopic view into what is our cost and figuring out is, is what this person is doing or this department doing full cost of goods? Because what this ends up doing is affecting our margins, uh, obviously. And so simple things like looking at our, since we're, we own some business center equipment, you know, shifting, making changes from a three-year to a five-year depreciation cycle, that changes our cost structure a little bit, makes our margins a little bit better, and ultimately what this does is allows us to be a little more price competitive out in the marketplace we're competing with the giants, uh, like in Azure or AWS or Google Compute. And so I can give, you know, there's lots of examples where I've looked at like our support organization, you know, how much time they're actually spending on supporting customers versus small RD projects. We have a professional services component to our business. How much time do they spend? Are they spending doing actual implementations for customers versus small RD projects? Again, for example, so we figure that out. Um, we, we investigate, and then we basically carve out those costs, removing them from our cost of goods into a different bucket on the P&L, thus making margins better, and then ultimately make us a more price the more leeway we have on our, on our pricing, the better margin we get, the more revenue we get. And so I think there, that's, that investigation over the last couple of years has, uh, has helped a lot with, with our margins. And, and I, I think from, from my purview, from the CFO's purview, you get to, as the listeners know, as, as the other CFO's we're listening, know that we, we have a lot of seeing across every single department, every single uh, business line better company, uh, unlike nobody else within the business, so we're able to go ahead and look at different departments to figure out the true nature of, of what they're doing, and if there's a way to get creative and maybe figure out, work with the department leads to implement maybe some timekeeping or some other charts or metrics to figure out what they're doing um, to optimize margins uh, marginal pricing, and, and we should set. So anyway, that's a- That's a little bit of a long story. It's a multiple um, component aspect, but all in all, it goes to making sure we get uh, the best cost structure in place to optimize pricing. I
1: want to uh, talk to you a little more about the cost structure as it relates to talent. Uh, And I understand the company grew its uh, headcount last year by 50%. Um, As a finance leader, uh, when it comes to the organization's workforce, what are your priorities
2: from a cost structure basis? You know, heck, we we are a tech company. Um, we it's it's a it's the most it's the biggest part of our cost structure. You know, around you know, close to seventy percent. It's pretty common out there for tech companies. For for, for us, you know, obviously, we want the best. In Seattle, it's tough. it's a very tough market to compete in, especially for engineering, for software engineering. Um, as it relates to finance. When, when I looked to build out my team, when I first started Skytap, um, there was no finance team, no HR team. It was, you know, uh, a, a very successful former CFO who was basically doing consulting hours here, as well as a uh, accounting uh, bookkeeper who was a contractor. So I had a blank slate to start from. So from the, from the finance, HR uh, perspective, legal perspective, you know, the, the people that I hire, especially. people that are, that are um, aspire to become, that want my job. That um, keeps my eyes sharp, of course, because I want my job. <laughs> but, but eventually, you know, I want to set these folks up for success in your future. And I have a few examples of that. at three-tier, for example, where a couple of controllers that I've hired have been one of them now, a CFO of a different company, and one's a VP of finance somewhere else. So definitely want to go ahead and, again, like I mentioned earlier, hire against my weakness. You know, we want to fill the holes in our team. Um, I tell people in their DNA, you know, some of the value that cause trouble. You know, when you come on board, just, I just don't come in and just, you know, do your job. I mean, it's great, but look for cause trouble. You know, settle for status quo. Do it professionally, of course. But if you see something that could be optimized, ask questions. You know, that's what I mean by cause trouble, challenge the status quo. I guess another another thing I look for talent is is something, you know, that I'm sure other people do the same thing, but I call it the Saturday morning test. yeah You know, a lot of the resumes we get, yeah, great resumes, especially we're, we're, we're lucky at SkyCap, being a fast-growing company, having this great from great investors, that people want to come work here. So a lot of the resumes that we get have lots of great skills, lots of great letters after their names, lots of great universities. Um, but when, I'm, when I'm talking to somebody to see if they want to be on if, if they're going to fit for the team, yeah, at the to pass the Saturday morning test, and that's basically my mind thinking: okay, when the going no gets tough, and they, the crap hits the fan, and i got to show up on a Saturday morning to hit a deadline, for example, am I going to look forward to working with this person, right? And so, and that, and that can easily tell within a minute or so, you know, depending on the stories they are telling about their background. So, I'll, I'll, so that, that's a very important part of It's an innate kind of a gut feeling, um, and that's it's done really well for me throughout my career. I've... I've I really made a um, mistake on that Saturday morning test.
0: Fault leader listeners, Frank Coolidge joins us in the mentoring round after these words from our sponsor. You want smart? of year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com middlemarket.
1: I want to move to our mentoring round where you've already begun to offer some mentoring uh, insights. Uh, what's one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today?
2: As it relates to my well, it's not just about debtors and credit, right? it's not just about closing the books for you Right. What's exciting about my role here is that I get to work with our CEO on, and the executive team on driving the, country, or driving the company in a strategic direction. Uh, I love the fact that I spend one of my time looking at a pipeline, actually working with customer prospects, figuring out what's the next best contract, if you will, or pricing economics for the next big enterprise customer that we're um, trying to close, um, being able to travel to, to do customer site visits, um, really being more customer focused is not a traditional finance component, if you will, uh, but it's definitely something that I, I really enjoy doing here at the um is being more customer focused and doing what I can to help drive more revenue, basically. I really enjoy, this might sound odd, but I really do enjoy going to trade shows. Lot, I love doing booth and kind of, kind of what we're doing now. I just like talking to prospects, customers, people who are interested in a specific product. You know, I could talk to them all day long. and kind of try to booth, and not even know the time is flying by. And by the end of the day, my throat is scratchy from talking about the, uh, this wonderful contact product, uh, product that we have. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, the the the, the this FPA component, the, the treasury, the budgeting, all is super critical to running a company, but but I think I just mentioned now, really gets me excited being a CFO at, at, at
1: wish well, well, you know, someone had told you the first time you uh, stepped into the CFO role. What's that one piece of advice you wish someone had
2: offered you? Uh, um, that is a great question, I'm sure. Uh, so, so looking back now, I mean, Going into so so the learning, I didn't know I wanted to be a CFO when I went to grad school. I just wanted to be at the table, helping drive decisions, running a company. The CFO was the natural spot. So for me, so I think I think what would I didn't realize back then, if I were to tell somebody uh, who's becoming an aspiring CFO, as I had I didn't know how important that bond is, that relationship is between the CFO and the CEO. That's something that I, I've learned along the way, and that chemistry is is super critical I think to to running the company. Um, you know, I think Thor, I get the pleasure. Thor a fantastic CEO, you know, and we don't always agree. We definitely get into heated debates, um, but we, we always we always agree to move forward um, and, and and continue to grow the company the next day and the next day. Um, we, we have to trust each other. And, and grow this thing, but we have to be right, on the same page. I'm to take my, my view of the company and, look, and do our risk mitigation thing, saying, hey, look, you know, what if yes, things don't go where we thought it was going to go? Right? And so I kind totally of have to be a little bit of uh, the downer sometimes talking about, like, here's this, we have to do the downside, there, just in case. Right? It's always fun to, to bring the, the downside aspects up, but they're there, and we have to go ahead and plan for it. No idea. Um, you know, when I first became a CSO that how critical that relationship is, is to the company and to myself? And if it if it didn't, if it wasn't there, then I, it, it wouldn't wouldn't work for me. I'd have to go someplace else because um, that, that that relationship is, is is that critical. Does that make sense? Try to think.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. You know, part of what I think is interesting about your career is the original first part of it, you were led by science, and maybe it was your intellectual curiosity or the people you were associated with, scientists, engineers. Um, that sort of fed your, uh, your appetite uh, to, to learn, and uh, I don't know if you would have, would you have entered the CFO suite if you had to come up through the auditing ranks? I don't know if that would have held your interest for business. Uh, it's, a, you know, the familiar path that we talked about at the start. What do you think? Yeah. I, I, I agree.
2: Sometimes when I ask, my kids ask me, this when they're younger, like what do I do? I think if I know not want to see a phone call, like money and I'll give them income. Sometimes the doctor or the business, right? Where I walk into the patient's room and look at the charts, look at all the vital times to, to determine the health of the uh, uh, of the patient, or in this case, the business. So I, I completely agree with you that you know, there's a very really scientific approach sometimes to running a company, looking for under yeah, the KPIs and metrics. Those are the model signs. You know, how's the patient doing? Uh, what should we do? What, what kind of and should we administer here? You know, what are some of the warning signs uh, that we should look out for? The indicators uh, of the company. So there's a lot of similarity between science and yeah.
1: a uh, a personal habit that you have that you believe has contributed to
2: your professional success? Yeah, I think the yeah. obvious answer to that is I've always been competitive. So I've always competed in sports. From a young age, of age of at six I've New York, playing Little League Baseball all the way up until I went to grad school, playing, playing ball out here in Seattle. You know, so you're always on always the line. You know, in baseball, you always win, right? You strike out a lot. You keep three, three, hard. You're doing pretty good. Um, so I've always, always competed in something. I've um, always, always worked. I mean, young age. to day I like, turned 16. I yeah. got a job at a supermarket. You know, and I'd say, you, you, you probably know i I think there was one there, uh, and uh, uh, nearly, you know, what I used to do. Um, and so, from a young age of 16 all the way college, I've always had a mentality where it's just, you always know, gotta work, it's not gonna be handed to me. And so, I think that maybe the combination of always working and enjoying hard work, the, the drive to win, those two hand in hand, uh, led me there. now, you know, for the last 10 years, I'm an amateur bike racer up here in the uh, Pacific Northwest. And let me tell you, about a humbling sport, I mean, I train and train and train. You hire coaches. You watch what you eat, um, and you, you really want. <laughs> but there's something about the training process, the competition, the camaraderie you make with your competitors as well as your teammates in cycling. There, there's something about that, right, as such, such some, and of such fulfillment and that experience where right? I can't wait to do it again. And so I think all of that, all the all those combined, they're, they're, those are personal interests, hobbies. I think that. That carried, carried over well in the CFO role that I I'm in. Mean,
1: is so, there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? Uh, well, the easy
2: answer there, Jack, is I'll just have those folks listen to all the podcasts on your on the CFO thought <laughs> leader. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me think here. Yeah, so, so uh, along the cycling vein, uh, podcast process first going to come to mind. There's a book written by a Dutch author uh, named Kim Crabb who wrote a book called The Rider. And uh, it's basically, uh, his first person view as approaching a bike race, he's an amateur bike racer, just like me. But the way his prose is very much what it's like to go through a bike race. And going through a bike race is, I don't know, it's similar to what I'm like as a CFO. Um, it's, it's an endurance, it's not a like 50 meter uh, dash. You're there for a long oh, haul. It's a marathon, right? You got to have a lot of endurance. You got to go ahead, and sometimes you got to pay. Sometimes when you need it, but you always got to recover back to the endurance uh, aspect. My course was hard. Reading that book, you learn a lot about how hard it is, and how, like I said before, the mental fortitude you need to, to get through it. It's not like being a CFO. Um, you got to go ahead and focus on the task at hand. Sometimes you crash in bike races. I crashed, I don't know how many times, I don't know how much in my life, but you crash, you've got to get up and do it again. You're going to crash being a CFO. Mistakes are going to happen. You've got to earn those mistakes, get back on a bike, and and leave the company. Um, So it's not your typical book. It's not, you know, there's a lot more business focused books out there, but I read this book twice. I picked it up the other day, thinking about it again, and it's highlighted in in my mind right now. But, um, but, um, it's, 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 it's something that, it's easy to yeah. read, and you know, other aspiring CFOs, pick it up, you know, if you're, even if you don't, you don't have to be a cycling fan, a cycling um, expert to enjoy the, uh, the, uh, the, the story line.
1: You you know, about, uh, cycling, and it, it's, uh, do you compete as teams, or is it a solo, uh, sport for you?
2: It's, it's teams, yeah. you know, looking out of my heart, I'm my bike in today. I'm looking up on my wall, I'm looking at my my Titan kit. It's it's a team sport. It's it's a little bit tough for the new color. understand how it could be a team sport. There definitely are individual events. where you can go ahead and just race against the clock. Um, But there is quite a lot of teamwork involved. Um, And if you're some teams do it really, really well. Um, And and for us, working together, knowing to attack or when to block land or save your energy for the sprint at the end, or when to get in a breakaway, uh, there's, if you have, like, four or five teammates in a race, there's, there's a lot that goes on And There's probably another analogy here, too, just, I just thought of. Was like, before any race, you know, if there's four or five of us on the same team, we'll meet, we'll ride around, warm up, and we'll talk about the strategy for the race. Guaranteed, almost all the time, something doesn't happen according to plans. Another team is doing something different. We have to react. Maybe someone's flat. Maybe someone's having bad legs that day. But we have to adjust on the fly right away to go ahead and optimize our chances for, for the win or for the podium. It's, it's the same as being a CFO. You've got to adjust on the fly. Things are always going to go according to plan as we know as CSOs. And so being able to adjust um, with your team is pretty, pretty critical. Okay, our final question.
1: Over the next 12 months, what are your priorities as a finance leader?
2: for, for, for SkyTap you know, as, as a scientist obviously continuing to grow continue to scale you know we got to do more or less here um, you know I ask myself a well, lot what am I doing to scale personally you know what am I doing so I'm not getting in the way of company success you know I love digging into spreadsheets I love working on economic you know, like models for, for prep, um, customer prospects but I can't do it all myself as much as I like it so, so the uh, right talent to always drive to the scale. you know, telling the team, you know, what right are we doing to go and work on the job always. Um, and and